1: Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. It's time... For another cannabis conversation, we did a lot of cannabis conversations in 2020, and my objective in those cannabis conversations was to force the state of Illinois, kicking and screaming every step of the way, to have some kind of equitable distribution of licenses. I don't ask for much. I fought the war on drugs for how many years did I fight it? I finally saw a slight end to the war on drugs, and somehow or other, at the end of that war on drugs, when they finally started dishing out licenses to run medical dispensaries in the state of Illinois, no black people got a license. The war on drugs hit the black communities harder than any other community in the state of Illinois, and yet when it came to dishing out the licenses, No black people got the license. So this is a constant. Now, I know many of my listeners go, Ben, you're not going to do this again. Yes, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it in the year 2021 to my beloved state of Illinois, where I've lived since 1966, which makes me a lot older than my guest Uh, uh, We'll do it right. So without further ado, my partner in crime on Cannabis Conversation, the great Lisa Solomon from the Chicago Reader will now introduce our distinguished guest. Go ahead, Lisa Solomon.
0: Hey, Ben. It's great to be back on the show talking about cannabis. So today's a very special day. We are blessed to have cannabis royalty on with us today. We have got the king of cannabis himself, Al Harrington, on with us. So for those of you who've been living under a rock and have no idea who Al is, he was a first-round NBA draft pick in 1998, spent 16 years in the NBA, and his transition starting in 2012 to running Viola, which is a very highly respected top selling national cannabis brand that started in Denver now operates in Colorado, Oregon, Michigan, and California. So I am going to ask the king of cannabis to tell us how he got started in the industry. Al, take it away
2: how y'all doing um ben that's that's love man that's that love you shown to our community you know what i'm saying we need people like you to use this platform to do that and we really i'm telling you speaking for a lot of people we really appreciate that and lisa always good to see you again um you know happy that we got a chance to do this and um you know my cannabis journey started in 2011 um, this is our 10th year. This will be our 10 year anniversary. You know, it's being Vi- when Viola was, you know, first came into fruition. And, um, you know, it all started for me. I was playing for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, cannabis, you know, they had a medical program there that was really dominating the newspapers for the most part. I was always a newspaper reader growing up in my career. And, you um, You know, every time I pick up the newspaper, there would be something about cannabis in it. So, you know, I was starting to read little different things and, you know, how cannabis is actually medicine and all these different things, which was a lot different from me growing up, you know, in Orange, New Jersey, seeing the war on drugs, you know, every single day. And the way that they police cannabis and being taught in school that if you smoke weed, you're going to, you know, end up being a crackhead. It was a gateway drug or get locked up. You know, that was that's where we took you. So I was completely afraid of it, but just being in a place where it was so accepted and, you know, people were actually able to go to stores and buy it, it was just intriguing to me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was set myself up for a moment. You know, my grandmother had come to see me play that year. And uh, you know, she was 79 years old at the time, you know. I can't even, you know, would even think about offering her cannabis. But at this time, I had a little bit of a little bit of knowledge, and you know, I seen her taking all this medication. And when I asked her what was all the reasons why she was taking so much, you know, medication, she started telling me a list of things. And when she said glaucoma, I had told her. You know, literally, I was reading a newspaper the day before that cannabis helped glaucoma. So when I kept calling it cannabis, she was like "Listen," And she was like, well, what is cannabis? And I was like, it's marijuana weed. She's like, reefer? She's like, yeah. <laughs> like everything I said went out the window. She's like, I'm not smoking no reefer, boy. You out of your mind. And I said, well, grandma, this is cannabis. It's different. Is doctors prescribe it? She was like, no. So, the next day I came home from shoot around and she was sitting in the kitchen and she was, you know, sitting with, you know, her hands in her face like this. And I walked in, I was like, Grandma, what's up? She looked up, squinting, and she's like, Is that you, baby doll? She's like, How you doing? I was like, What's up with you? She's like, My eyes hurt so bad today, I can barely see. So I said, Well, you take all that medication and it doesn't work. It doesn't help. She was like, It's hit or miss. So I was like, Well, why don't you just try cannabis? I'm like, Is doctor, you know, messing (laughs) up? Doctor approved. Like, doctor said you could take it. And she was just like, boy, I'm in so much pain today, I'll try anything. I couldn't believe it. So I called my boy who had a card, cause he was medical, and he went to the dispensary and what they recommended was Vietnam Kush. We bought it back, we volcano, put it in a volcano bag for her. We didn't want to sit smoking a blunt or anything like that. And uh, she hit it, hit it once, And blew it out her nose and hit it again. And I'm looking at it. and I'm like, Grandma, are you sure you don't smoke weed? (laughs) 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 Like, I smoked a cigarette one time when I was 16 years old is what she told me. So I took her downstairs. I'm like, well, that's enough. So I took her downstairs and she took a nap. Well, I I went upstairs and took a nap. And I woke up an hour and a half late, and I said, let me go check on her before I you know, jump in the shower and get ready for the game. And when I go downstairs, the door to the, the room is closed now. So when I knock on the door, I poke my head through the door, and her back is to the door, and she's looking down. And I'm just like, Grandma, how you feeling? And I'm, I got a smirk on my face because she hit it like four times hard. So looking at and she turned around, and she was crying tears. And I was like, Grandma, she was like, I'm healed. I'm healed. You know I haven't been able to read the words of my Bible in over three years. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, what? And she's like crying and I go over and I hug her and she's like, I got my sight back. She's like, God gave me my sight back. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she crying, she made me cry. And like, that's when I, re- like at that moment, I just, I wanted more information. I needed to know more. I'm like, yo, there's no way my 79 year old grandmother just smoked weed for the first time in her life. And she thought she could see again. Yeah. And that's how it started for me that was that was the start of you know viola, you know what I'm saying that's what that's what inspired me to learn more and realize that you know this plant has got a really really unfair reputation uh it truly is medicine it is uh, I think it could heal the world. you know what I'm saying, and at that point, I realized that I wanted to tell the world world that I wanted everybody to know what I knew you know what. I'm and that's where we are right now. We spreading the good news and we really pioneering an unbelievable, you know, we call it an industry, but like this is just a lifestyle. This is a way of life. You know what I'm saying? The way you break up and brush your teeth, you should you know, try to get some form of a cannabinoid in your system. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to make you a better person. So that's just where I'm at. You know, that's how, that's how I always started.
1: When you started telling that anecdote, Al, I thought the conclusion is when you went into the room, your uh, your grandma had a black light out on, she was playing air guitar to Jimi Hendrix. That's that's where I thought you were going with that anecdote. <laughs> but now she's reading the Bible. Uh, you took it in a different direction than I thought you were going to take it. Yeah, man. Uh, But you know, to each his own. Um, so, all right, let me just uh, sort of put this in the context of what the world was like when you had this revelation uh, with your grandmother back in 2010. Did you say it was, 2010? Uh, 2011. 2011, okay. Uh, was, uh, was marijuana policed in the NBA uh, at that time? Al Harrington, did the NBA uh, drug test players to see if they were smoking marijuana?
2: Yeah, like when I first came in the league, um, when I was 98, they were only testing players once, once a season, the beginning of the season. So you only had to pass one drug test, similar like to the NFL. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe after my third or maybe my fourth year, they changed it to four random tests. And when I sat down with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Adam Stern, you know, I asked him, I was like, why did you change the drug test to, you know, the four times? And, you know, he said some players that he didn't want me to you know say, but they all came to him like pretty much saying like cannabis was becoming an issue in the locker room. You know what I'm saying? That they felt like guys was coming to the game high and all these different things. And he literally said that's the reason why he, you know, moved it from one test to four. It was like something that the players really wanted, you know, more than even him. You know what I'm saying? Which was really surprising to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it went from one to four and then four random tests came and got more guys got popped left and right, you know. But what was the good thing about, I will say about the program in the, in the uh, NBA, it's not like the first time you get caught with marijuana, you get suspended, you know, you get fined. You know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. really the first time that you get pops, you get put in the program first. And then the program is meant to obviously, you know, win you off it and get you to your clean test. But then once you start failing those tests while you're in the program consistently is when the fines happen. And then ultimately you get to the, you know, when guys get suspended for two games or five games because of it. Is that still the policy that exists in the NBA? So, yes, but obviously they suspended it uh, for the bubble and then also for this season they've suspended uh, all cannabis tests. So I think that uh, they may still have the four randoms, but they won't be testing for uh, cannabis.
1: See, now I have an issue with that and uh, get your response to this. Uh, I'll take Adam Silver as word. I've never met the man. So i have was- I'll just take him at his word that he did this uh, because players asked him, which I found a little strange. Players ask him a lot of things all the time. If he he did every request a player would ask him, there would be no more salary caps. So, okay, you know, it's funny they pick and chew. Oh, well, I'm really concerned about this marijuana thing. But I got to ask you, in your humble opinion, uh, was marijuana a problem in terms as a deterrent to the ability of a player to play the game of basketball? Uh, was, were, were, performances going down because people were getting high, uh, before games? Was it a real issue is what I'm asking.
2: I mean, it's to me, like when I look back at it, I didn't think it was a big issue because I had teammates that smoked, but they always came to work. You know what I'm saying? So um, it was really like some older players that were still in the players union at that time that, you know, you know, I guess persuaded him to do that. But I will be honest, man. Like I never, I never played with a guy that had a problem with cannabis. I've had I've had multiple teammates that had problems with liquor. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I've had.
0: While one that- they were doing the cannabis testing, team doctors were prescribing opioids for the players.
2: Of course. I mean, that's their only option. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, especially once again, when I came in, you know, uh, all this plant medicine, all this all natural medicine now that we know everybody's more turning to. All, uh, what is it like healthy alternatives and stuff like that? That was not a thing then. You know what I'm saying? Only thing They, you know, was not even no education around it at that point. You know what I'm saying? So. Uh, yes, I mean, that's all the trainers, you know, had to give us, you know what I mean? And, you know, I, just for my story, I got in the league and I had some issues early, you know, I had back surgery after my second year, then I had knee surgery after my fourth year. So, you know, my body had been opened up a couple of times. You know, those things just don't heal the same. Right. So you need and other things usually when you have an injury somewhere, it usually makes some other place weak because it's overcompensating. So you kind of start going through that path. And now my body went through that path. You know, I went from back to me, Achilles Achilles this. And at the end of the day, I had to take a lot of anti-inflammatories just to be able to feel good enough to play. You know what I'm saying? And those aren't safe either. You know what I mean? Like I was taking two Celebrex in the morning, one that night. And I took that, I did that for almost six years. You know what I'm saying? And who knows the long-term effects that could have on my body down the line. You know what I'm saying? But at the time, I had no other option. (laughs) I wanted to be able to go out there and I wanted to be able to make a living. You know what what I'm saying? So that's that's the chance that I had to take in order to, you know, play 16 years. But now you realize that like with cannabis, like what? Like these guys could have been using cannabis to deal with a lot of these issues that we're prescribing them all this really harmful medicine or drugs. Mm-hmm. Those are real drugs. We take too many pills of that, we die. We smoke yeah. as f- much weed or take as many edibles. We might be spinning, but we're going to live. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm and I'd, rather, I'd rather live at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, <laughs> things out I- you know, I And mean? I think that Adam has seen it. And I think the bubble helps because there was, you know, from what I understand, and I'm not speaking as I was there, but I heard there was a floor in the hotel that players could go to smoke. Right. So they didn't be a nuisance anywhere else to, you know, other teammates or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And guys went to that lounge and they smoked. But I think that they knew that that was going on and the play did not. I mean, you think about bubble play it was at a super high level. And then even from a medical standpoint, um, a lot of the soft tissue injuries were down. There was less soft tissue injuries than normal over that t- over that uh, period of time, and with you know with them playing so much. Mm-hmm. So they looking at cannabis might be a reason why those things happen. So right now,
0: yeah, I think that's great. When you look at the effects of cannabis on the body and all the good that it can do, even when you're not taking it, let's say for medical purposes, versus what alcohol can do, which right. is single there's a huge disparity. Like, and I've talked to former NFL players who talked about using CBD prophylactically to lessen the negative effects of head injuries.
2: Right. No, I say so many things. I mean, we, we just continue to tap into this plant, but I think as an athlete, we, every athlete needs some form of cannabis. I'm not saying they got to get high or whatever, but it's, they can benefit from this cannabis plant and actually- go
1: so, Al, when you're making this transformation, uh, did it come a point where you became like an open disciple of cannabis while you're playing? Would you, A point where you actually would tell uh, your teammates or you know, people with the teams, you know, we're really misguided uh, about this plant and we're really misguided about our whole policy when it comes to reefer.
2: Yeah, I didn't at that time, I didn't know enough. And I'm, you know, I'm the type that I'm not going to speak until I know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? I want to make sure I have all my facts and stuff. And at that time, I was still too young in the game. I was, it was, it was so much being thrown at me, right? And the fact that I was trying to run a business or open a business in the space as well. You know what I'm saying? It's not like I had a real opportunity just to sit and learn all those things in the beginning, like that to that point or that level. But, um, you know. <laughs> I was a great, I I had to now start telling the guys, I apologize. Cause like, I literally, when they used to smoke, I used to really be off them. Like, yo, like that's some bullshit. Like we in season, bro. Like y'all really blowing. Like, you know what I mean? Like I felt that way about it. I didn't know, you know? So I had to really apologize to them. Like, yo, I can't believe, like now that I use X, Y, and Z, how how much better I feel, (laughs) how much of a better person it makes me damn damn near nicer to be around the whole thing, you know? So it was just like, for me, it was more like, more telling them, like, yo, my bad, you know? And uh, and as far as with the, at that point, I was not open enough to go tell, like, you know, the players' associations and different things like that, you know, that this was, they were looking at it wrong. No. Mm-hmm. It took me probably, you know, two years out of the league until I got to that point where I was like, okay, now I know what's going on. You know
1: what I mean? Uh, one of my obsessions uh, with society's attitude toward uh um, i'm gonna I Lisa's is always trying to get me to call it cannabis but i grew up calling it reefer uh, one of my uh difficulties one of my obsessions uh is like the hypocrisy of people's attitudes now i'm not gonna put your grandma here your grandmother here because uh i don't think she was like on the sly smoking it while condemning it uh but so many people condemn it while they're either smoking it or while have smoked it or know people that smoke it, or if they they don't openly condemn it, they look the other way and just keep their mouth shut while people get busted for something that they know is very commonplace. How, why do you think this exists? This hypocrisy uh, about cannabis? Why do you think uh, it's been so prevalent for so many years? Like, we've committed ourselves to a war on drugs that's devastated so many communities and neighborhoods and people while smoking the very thing that people are paying a consequence for. Why do you think this exists the way it is?
2: I mean, I just think that, you know, in the 30s where they really banned cannabis or, about you know, tried to abolish it and get rid of it, um, they went hard at it. I mean, it's amazing. Some of the older people, and even some of the younger people that I talk to, that just the way that, how afraid they are still of it, even at this point, as popular as cannabis is, like they're still like, ah, I can't touch it. I can't. And I think it's all about perception. It's just think they most people just think that mass majority of the world still looks at cannabis as a huge no-no. You know, and I hate to tell them, is like, that's not where it's at. I, I mean, I literally, when I first got, when I first retired, I used to, you know, I didn't know where I wanted to go for like full time, right? I knew I wanted to do cannabis, but I didn't know I wanted to make this my career and my life like I have now, right? Mm-hmm. So I was doing, I was thinking about doing some tech. I was thinking about doing some real estate. And literally every time I would go to any of those meetings and we kind of make the little round table of, you know, who everybody is and their interests or whatever. And whenever I would say that I have a cannabis company, we didn't. We never talked about real estate. We never talked about real estate. like never. Like they was just like and like what? like. So you doing this and you can really sell it. You did this and they, like they couldn't believe it. The opportunity. You know what I mean. And um. So you know, I just think that you know, I, even some of the athletes, because there's a bunch of athletes in the league that have invested in cannabis, and some of them are like operators, like me. Like I love it. Like I'm so. But, you know, I tell them, like, you know, don't be afraid, man. Like, we're doing doing the right thing. (laughs) Like, this is, we are doing the right thing. And this is an unbelievable opportunity for generational wealth. Um, You know, we need to try to own as much of this as we can. To your point when you started in the beginning, that how can these states still at this point Issue licenses and not have one black owner and like for a license. Like, why? How do you have the audacity to continue to fucking do that? Like, like really? You can't say you forgot. You can't say like you literally said fuck black people again. You know, I mean? we can go off into a whole conversation about systemic
0: racism here because that's
2: yeah. So it's just like so, I don't know. That's why I just that's why I encourage the guys that have the resources, meaning the athletes and entertainers, like you have to come out. And you, you have to, you have to, because if you don't, you just, you making, it, you making it even harder for the people that are in, like myself and the people that are trying to come up. You know what all I'm right. saying? We all fighting fight the same thing, you know what I mean? So we gotta somehow come together. And I just think that the main thing is like, these guys have to step to the plate and just say like, look, this is how I feel about this plant. Cause it's not going nowhere. It's not illegal. We are going this way. Don't get might be this way, but it's going to. You know what I'm saying? So these guys just. I just feel like they got to just stand on their square and just be like, "Look, this is how I feel about the plant." Uh, now,
1: Al, did your company apply for a license in Illinois?
2: We did. Well, not Viola, but our other. We have another company called Village that me and my co-founder that started Viola. We started there, which is a all black owned. Um, you know, uh, license company so we go after all the limited licenses across the country and uh, yeah we applied so I know you got to where you want to go with that yeah you know where I'm going wait so let
1: me just make this clear all black owned as in all black people own it am I correct on that okay I just want to get that straight yeah
2: want to address social equity so the ownership is like that i mean our investor we you know we're open to different investors right but Mm -hmm. the owning of the main thing is an all black owned company you know what i'm saying that we like to me when you talk about social equity you know we feel like we are black excellence at that because we're operators between me my co-founder and our app writer we have like by far the most licenses in the country by of a lot of companies. You know what I'm saying? Like not only black people, but just like, so when you when you open these opportunities and you vet these companies, like how can we not win one? You know what I'm saying? Like how can we not win it? You know what I'm saying? So yeah, we, we applied in Illinois. We lost by, you know, by uh, less than one point, less than 1%. And, uh, you know, I guess they're now going through a process where they're allowing us to go back and fix that one issue and then reapply and see if we can get into that pool. So I'm confident that they're going to do the right thing this time. But, you know, we'll see. It's part of the game.
1: Uh, When you say you lost by one point, uh, I assume you're alluding to uh, the processes they set up to see who would get into the lottery uh, to be selected from the lottery uh, so when they first were kicking out licenses in Illinois, they gave them to people who already had uh, dispens medical marijuana licenses. So then they were opening up for just strictly recreational. Uh, you operate uh, recreational marijuana dispensaries in other states, correct?
2: Um, not yet. So only place I have just one dispensary right now. It's in uh, Detroit, Michigan, but it's medical.
1: It's all it's medical. So you're trying to move into
2: uh, the recreational? Yes brand uh, through medical and, uh, and adult use markets.
0: Will you talk about the incubator that you started and what your goal is in terms of creating generational wealth?
2: Well, um, you know, the one thing that I've realized is, you know, if it's hard for me, to continue to move forward in the progress, it's damn near impossible for people that don't have the resources that I have. You know what I'm saying? So, my main thing is, you know, using my platform and my resources to give access to other Black-owned, uh, minority-owned companies that you know are building something special that you know matches with my my our, our company ethos and you know what we believe in and our vision. And you know, so far, uh, you know, we have two right now. We have uh, Butter Babies, which is a black uh, woman-owned uh, uh, butter and coconut oil company that you know makes um, you know makes the butter for food or whatever to help with patients that deal with diabetes that can't eat the normal edibles that are available to them and don't prefer to smoke. And then I also have Gold Standard Farms, which is uh, a young kid named Jerrell Howard that's uh, you know from Martin, Tennessee. And, you know, he has a 50 acre farm that's been in his family for 80 something years or whatever, which is, you know, in the black community unheard of. Right. <laughs> But he was able to, you know, prove a concept with a farm that he bought down the road to convince his family that they should turn that into, you know, into a hemp uh, hemp field instead of corn that they've been doing for the last fifty years. So, you know, he's an in eye incubator, and you know, we're really excited, you know, to be able to help them because we feel like they've done a great job. Of, first, they're great people, right? And they're doing it for the right reasons. But they have built, you know, great brands, great brand recognition, and it's really high quality products which is the main thing for Viola is like we want to be affiliated with high quality, like Nike. You know what I'm saying? Like We want to be that level of quality and consistency that will win people over for forever. You know what I'm saying? So um, you know, those are the first two. Um, you know, we've been looking at a few others, uh, one here in California, another one in Colorado, one in Oklahoma. So, you know, there's some other opportunities for us that we're, you know, about to do. And, you know, also one of the ways that I've been able to create uh, you know, wealth for some of my friends is through these licensing processes as well. Because, you know, each of these limited licenses states, you have to have local representation. And I'll usually reach out to friends of mine that, you know, are monsters in their community, you know, because I feel like, you know, a lot of these, pro, a lot of these licenses, you have to write community redevelopment programs. And I think how amazing it is that a lot of these companies score perfect when they're not from those communities. <laughs> like, how do, they, how do they know how to have an impact on the community? So I've learned from that, and i realize realized I want to go and tap in tapping with my friends that do stuff in the community on a daily basis, give them ownership and a license, and that will be their job for our organization is how we give back and, you know, we uplift our community, you know. So, you know, that's what, you know, that's what, you know, I'm really passionate about, Um and you know we're just gonna take this one step at a time. And as I enter new markets, you know there are a lot of black market brands that you know to me are very attractive. Uh, you know they've been able to create unbelievable brands, probably brands stronger than Viola. So you know what I'm saying? What you think about? We have national, right? But they have such a, a, a such a following. You know, but they can't figure out how to get legal because we know, like I just said, it's impossible. <laughs> I'm having trouble doing it. Can you imagine them? You know. Mm-hmm. So that's just where it is. So I feel like, you know, I want to be that gatekeeper to even them. I want to help these guys get bank accounts. I want to help these guys get mortgages. I want to help, you know what I'm saying? I want to be able to help take their brands and take it to the legal market and, you know, for them to be able to start, you know, doing it in a proper and a safe way. And that's what it's all about, trying to, you know, heal and create opportunity for people from, from, you know, from our community.
0: That's so interesting what you were just talking about because it's so true. You have some of the, oldest and most established and best brands that aren't legal, but these are the people who've been running the industry here. And so I love that you're trying to help them get to the point where they can do it above board.
2: I always say, and this is, and, I'm, and I don't, there's no disrespect to M- any MSO because I, you know, a lot of my friends of mine, whatever, you know, whatever. But the only reason why you're dominating is because you're the only ones with weed. <laughs> the only reason why. these brands is the weed that y'all got access to and see who flies off the shelves faster. Like that's just a reality. That's the only reason why (laughs) you're dominating because you're the only one with the weed. (laughs) That's in the dispensary. You know what I'm saying? So my thing is like, I want to figure out the way to get those brands on them shelves, man. Like it even will help those companies. They'll fly through product faster. You know what I'm saying? But like, I know for a fact that there are brands that are in the streets that will outsell those brands in the dispensaries two, three, four times over, guaranteed. And that's the brands that I would like to hopefully be able to bring under the Viola umbrella as we eventually distribution. Well, uh, we're taking a while to uh,
1: legalize uh, <clears throat> marijuana, cannabis, reef, or whatever you can call it. Uh, and so it's a country that takes great pride, Al Harrington, in that it's a capitalist country. It's not really free market capitalism that is out there on the streets controlling uh, uh cannabis industry. It's more like who, you know, kind of capitalism, which <laughs> it's pretty much the way capitalism works across the board anyway. Uh, and that's just me an old lefty talking uh, Al Harrington, uh, yeah. but it's not free market. That's for certain. Um, and you know what they say about markets are only free to the people who own them. Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, the question I ask everybody that comes on this uh, show, uh, Alan, I might as well ask you that. Um, yes, it's uh, legal in the state of Illinois. And yes, it's legal in Colorado, where you were playing uh, back in 2011. And yes, it's legal in the California center and so forth. But it's still illegal uh, in the in the country. Federally, it's still illegal. Uh, and I didn't see any movement in 2020 uh, to undo uh, what I think is an injustice to make that make marijuana uh, illegal federally. Uh, what's your thoughts about as we head into 2021? Do you think uh, we can finally get rid of the prohibition, the national prohibition against marijuana? Uh,
2: I don't think it'll happen this year. It's just is it's, it's still a lot of red tape. The government like the one thing I think that hopefully we realize about our government and, you know, I love the I'm I'm happy to be an American and all that, but we're not really organized. Like we can't even give out a vaccine. Like you know what I'm saying? Like for like so just think about them trying to legalize cannabis, right? And then you also gotta remember that most politicians, and once again I love my politicians, got a lot of, you know, friends and whatever, but they're not entrepreneurs, right? They're politicians. So we're asking people that have no idea about entrepreneurship. Then you're asking them in an in a industry that they can't even wrap their head around, right? You think about all these different things. I just feel like we're a lot further away than we could ever be. You know what I'm saying? You think about just how using California once again reg- regulation, right? I mean, they're still as mu- as big as this market is and money it's making, and as much tax as they tax, which is blowing up the black market. But they can't get enough. They can't get enough. Enforcement, you understand what I'm saying? So yeah. it's like it's so many <laughs> hurdles we have to go through to get to that point. You know, just the reality of it, I think even if that was one of Biden's top things when he's already said that it's not. You know, we're still four years away. You know what I'm saying? So you know, I think the biggest thing that we can that we can really enjoy as a society, you know what I'm saying, and people in the industry is decriminalization. You know what I'm saying? I think that will help. You know, I think that that's a major thing that could really just take a lot of pressure off people. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because like, even if you get caught moving weed to somewhere else, like you still should not lose your life over that. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I don't know if a fine or maybe jail, but like not what we not what people used to get. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think that that would be the biggest thing that I think that we could see happen is decriminalization and then maybe some form of banking. You know what I'm saying? Be able to open it up to, once again, these minority entrepreneurs that don't have, you know, private friends that can give them five hundred thousand dollars to do something. You know what I'm saying? So I think that those would be the major two things that I, I would like to see happening over this time. And then obviously something around taxes just to because once again, like. I don't knock the black market because the black market is why we here. So it, it, it's, it's for me it's a rough, even as a brand owner and all that, it's still a tough conversation for me to have thing, like get them out the way, <laughs> like police them. You know what I mean? Like it's just a tough thing for me just because I'm, it's capitalism. It's America. Like they're the reason why we're here, but then we didn't give them an opportunity to participate in Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's a whole nother thing, but, um, um, I think that those, I think those would be the two major things. And if we could do that, like I said, my point was about the taxes is because I just feel like the taxes is so high. That's what drives the customers back to the black market. Cause it's like, you know, I buy a $50 eighth, but by the time I walk out of the dispensary, it costs me $76 or I could have bought a $50 eighth for $50. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: okay. Now I'm going to go on my higher horse and uh, no pun intended out. Uh, but See, this is the problem, if I may, because the way the politicians convince the public to join the effort, one of the main ways they convince the public to join the effort to legalize reefer is to say you can make money off of it. The state can make money off of it. And so now the city of Chicago is even floating bonds against future proceeds. They're borrowing money against future proceeds, which is such a joke, because the money they raise should go help the communities that were hit the hardest by the war on drugs. So now they're borrowing the money, Al Harrington, against future proceeds just to pay their basic bills. And so that's why, like, they sold it to the public. Instead of saying the war on the drugs, was a failure. The war on the drugs was insanity. Our war against marijuana was completely hypocritical because while we were waging it, we were all smoking it. Instead of being honest, they said, well, uh, yeah, we really disapprove of marijuana. It's no good for you and don't smoke it, kids. And don't smoke and drive, but my goodness, the money we're gonna make, let's tax it. See, that's where we're at, Al. If you're dishonest from the start, we're gonna have a dishonest program. Do you agree or disagree with me? I totally
2: agree with you. That's a great perspective. I might use that on my next interview. (laughs) Go
1: ahead. You don't even have to give me credit. (laughs) (laughs) You can be like everybody
2: else. I heard this guy said. (laughs)
1: Anyway, uh,
2: at least. I told you, bro, it's it's just a bad system, man. It's just, it's. Yeah, it's bad, bro. It's just like I said, though, it's just really you asking people. They're not entrepreneurs. They don't get it. They just don't, and they, I don't know if it makes them a bad person, but they just, they don't get it. They're not, they, they're they politicians. They're, that's who they are. That's they, that's they. It's been their whole life. You know what I mean? Like, they don't yeah. have time to run a business. You know yeah. what I mean? So, it's, it's a tough spot for them to be in. But, you know, I, I think that over time, I think that the right people getting in the rooms with the right politicians is going to, you know, start to, you know, get them to realize, that this could be a better run program that would just make a lot more sense and just, and everybody wins, which is, you know, the ultimate goal. All right, Lisa, uh, we're pretty much running out of time. I'll give you the last question
1: to the great Mr. Harrington. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so... I think a big way to move the needle here is education on so many different levels. So there are a couple movies I recommend to people. I won't throw out the names. Then I'd love to hear if there's anything you wanted to share with listeners. We didn't get to yet or something that you think would really help people who do understand how great this is to share with others. So one of the movies is grass that came out in 1999 narrated by Woody Harrelson. Phenomenal documentary goes through the whole history of prohibition and then the movie we the people which came out a couple of years ago ricky lake executive producer it gets into a lot of the medical benefits and gets into some of the history so any other things you recommend for people to learn or anything else about the industry or anything that you want to share with us
2: yeah i would i would check out to add to those two uh, great options is uh, grass is greener mm-hmm. that was narrated by fab five freddy it's on Netflix. Um, you know, I think that was a good one. That was the one that was more of a journey for cannabis, you know, for, you know, uh, how it was, you know, pretty much how, how it affected the black community in regards to like jazz musicians and how they were getting arrested, but how they use it for creativity. So it really, you know, does a great job of taking it from back in 1930 till now. And then BT just did a documentary that I was a part of smoke. And, uh, Think that that was another good one. That one was more um, about more present day of what, you know, some of the black operators in cannabis is actually dealing with, you know what I'm saying, uh, during this time. So I think that those are two other good ones that you should check out. And, um, you know, I just, you know, my last thing is just like, I think that, you know, for minority um, participation, you know, that should be a priority. You know, at uh, the end of the day, like, even if you gave, you know, minorities all the uh, opportunity in the world, we still couldn't reflect more than 20, 25 percent of the industry. Right. And I mean, that's on a high end. Right. Right now, we we represent less than four percent. Right. As a as com- combined. You know what I mean? So just to think about it, if you gave us all, resources, that's all we can get but when you think about how big this industry can be. I think it's it's bigger than liquor. Whatever liquor's two, three hundred billion dollar in like I think this will kill liquor. You know what I mean? It's just it's too many use cases for the plant in general. You know what I'm saying? Not only just the herb that we smoke, but you know, industrial hemp and you know, thirty two hundred use cases of, you know, of hemp products that can be made. Like it's just it's we haven't even tapped in yet, you know? And you know, I just think that we just really need a fair opportunity and you know I, <laughs> there's been other times that we've asked for it it never happens you know we've asked for reparations for a very long time because there's obviously a very long track record that show we helped build this country but whatever um this could be our form of reparations 25 percent of a i feel like a trillion dollar industry could really rebuild the community mm-hmm. and a major impact you know so you know, I guess any way that you could support that cause, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, just by voting for different things or signing petitions or whatever, any way that you could help with that, it'd be just amazing. You know what I'm saying? There's more than enough opportunity for everybody. You know, I don't believe I have competition in the space yet because it's still too new. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, even the biggest companies in cannabis, they three, four years old, bro. That's nothing yeah. own the industry that fast. You know what I mean? They could go away like that. You know? So, you know, since that's how I feel, I just feel like we should have more of a group effort and, you know, and try to work together because I think that success is is tremendous for a lot for all of us, literally. Like it'll be different levels of success, but I just feel like we all can really, you know, really benefit and, you know, change a lot of people's lives along the way all right very good al appreciate it so much uh you coming on the show
1: and i hope to talk to you again soon as the year goes on and have better news out of the state of illinois in terms of making sure black people uh get a little of this reefer business i truly hope that's a story that we're uh reporting in the year 2021 all right yes sir all right very good that's al harrington and lisa Salmon i'm ben drowski take care everybody